0: given that that for any individual there's a huge range in their capacity for memory yeah. of, of like what they, what their capacity might be uh, but that for for example for uh, for trials in court mm-hmm. that you could put someone on the stand and get an eyewitness testimony from that person uh, without first doing any kind of vetting memory to test? see how good <laughs> their memory is this is actually the. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode 320 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the Game Dev Comedy Podcast, Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm the captain now. I'm Sam and I'm the artiste. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is July 15th, 2021. Dunk on everyone. Before we get started, we have a warning, there's going to be profanity, and uh, we'd also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. We've got a a new donation from Rob, who says, I recently got Levelhead on sale on Nintendo Switch, and I've been loving it. It deserves at least full price, so I thought I'd make it up in coffees. I've since discovered your podcast, which I'm also loving. You sound like a passionate and thoughtful team. Keep up the good work. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, Rob. This is my my favorite kind of th- thing in the universe is when
1: someone is like I f- I love getting deals and you know so I so I got this thing on sale but then I realized afterwards that now I feel bad because the thing is like so good that it seems so unfair now you know that I that I have I done this. paid
0: more yeah it's actually, it's actually <laughs> one of the things
1: my, my wife does with her uh uh with her her stylist is they have they created this like game where she goes in gets her haircut and then he tries to charge her less. To like share, like, oh, yeah, we're buddies, right? And then so that she tries to tip him more, right? And then, <laughs> and then this is the, this is now the game that they play, right? Uh, which is a, it's a fun way to to do that. I like it. So thanks.
0: Yeah. Good gestures on both sides and people get paid and people get what they need and everything's good. Uh, we'd also like to thank our recurring supporters as well who uh, donate monthly. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Uh, all right, you guys. Let's talk about some stuff. Kind of okay. mm-hmm. prepared. Mm-hmm. All right. First order of business on the agenda for the day. Okay, I did not go to the eye doctor for seven years. Well, I did. I went, but I went for other things, and my vision has just, it just got real. I have many questions to be Degraded. Wait, wait, wait because- yeah. You went for other things. You didn't have your eyes checked.
2: I said, don't they years?
1: test? Don't they check your vision every time you go? Like every time?
2: No.
0: What did they do when you were in there? No, they'll they'll check for like eye pressure issues, and they'll check for like I went because I got like one of those stupid floater things in my vision. Yeah, I got you one. Know? Of those. And I was like, I was like, the "Fuck is that?" And then they were like oh, like, "Oh, this is just your life now," because that's apparently how that yeah. works. Uh, but there's a lot of different th- things you can go to the optometrist for, but they're not always going to check your prescription. You know, because oh. uh, sometimes it's just a health thing. And so it's so like – but that exact thought hadn't really occurred to me. We're like I had been there many times since, you know, 2014, whatever. Um, and so it didn't occur to me that I might need new glasses even though I've been to the optometrist so many mm-hmm. times. And then over the course of the of the pandemic, I've noticed that like my computer monitor, which is on like an arm, has just gotten closer and closer it's <laughs> to my up face. On. And uh, by the end of a, of any given like work day, my my vision was like kind of like, my near vision was even kind of blurry, and like I'm I, nearsighted, so that's yeah. supposed to be my good side.
1: You know? I did notice when I was over helping you put up your sound panels because I remember looking at your computer and being like, "Why wow, that monitor's
0: it's real close, non ergonomically yeah. close to where your face
1: would probably <laughs> be." You know?
0: Yeah. So and so uh, I I wanted to set up an appointment like six months ago, but you know there was I guess like a the plague. So I've just been waiting this whole time and like inching my monitor closer to my face, blowing up my font sizes, finally went, uh, oh my God, I can see everything. It's amazing. (laughs) First thing I did, I got home and I pushed my monitor a foot back (laughs) so I could finally fucking see it. Uh, But then I got, so I got new glasses that are, uh, they're like more round. And then I thought, you know, now's the time for a new look because I got the new glasses. I think if I grow a beard, I can get sort of a bald Robin Williams from Goodwill hunting vibe going Mm on. So Mm -hmm. so I'm going to go for that. Uh, And I learned something else because I've tried to grow a beard in the past and I couldn't because it itched. Mm -hmm. Just itched. like growing a beard kind of, there's like a, there's an itchy peak. There's a stage where, the thing is it's not that itchy. No. But I wasn't able to handle it Uh, because it was slightly distracting. Mm -hmm. But now that I'm on Ritalin, I can grow a beard. (laughs) Whoa! Because it it itches a little bit, itches a little bit. But I don't. I can just not think about it. You know. So, uh, yeah. Little known fact that actually, Ritalin grows facial hair. (laughs) Know that? (laughs) Did you know that? I think it's funny because you've you have the
2: thickest possible beard situation Mm -hmm. as far as how your hair on your face. Like it's constructed, but you've never actually—you've mm-hmm. never been the Plus, one to take the plunge.
0: Now it's time. I've never grown it, never grown it, because because of brain. Yeah, but now because of drugs, I am growing it. Good. I'm, I'm very excited. Yeah, imagine if
1: you if you if you did the whole th- if you did the whole suite of things, you know, so like so you lotion your face, you yep. oil your that. beard, you take Ritalin that. or Adderall, or yeah. whatever.
0: Well, yeah, the Ritalin also helps with remembering to oil and lotion. Yeah, that helps a know, lot too. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like, yeah, yeah. So really it really, it's like yeah, Ritalin really is just like a great beard-growing agent. So would recommend. It takes <laughs> it maintenance. Is. It takes maintenance and focus to well, grow it is, a beard. It's yeah. funny because
1: really what you're saying here is that is that one of the symptoms of ADHD is the inability to grow a beard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. I mean the possible symptoms because of course it's a spectrum. Everybody's different.
0: But just that link, you know, is kind of. You wouldn't think it. Yeah, you wouldn't but, think it. But it's kinda, it kind of just dips into how, like, so many things in your life are affected by weird quirks of your brain that you wouldn't really anticipate until you look back and you're like, oh, wait. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <and laughs> it's always, you, it's always oh, hidden, the, Yeah, right. Yeah. It, it, it
1: yeah. has to somehow be revealed in the – and then oh, every fucking time. In retrospect, you're like, well, I mean – Dumb. obviously yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's Every like
2: I, time. I used to in in traveling uh, if, if we have to hop in the car and like go somewhere then instead of leaving you know like whatever someone has like a checkout time that's like late like why would you ever check out late at a place i don't understand because like i just need to get up and go like we're leaving as moment to wake up to go whether it's to the airport to uh, hop in the road trip to, like or in the car to finish a road trip Uh, My wife's family does it literally the opposite where like they sort of milk – they milk that final day literally as much
1: as possible, right? Because – which actually makes sense when you think about it because, you know, especially – Because, yeah, you don't really want to sit in an airport, but – Yeah. But then you might miss your flight though. But
2: then you just think about it all the time. And so, yeah, yeah, it's been the same for me with like the road trip stuff where I was stunned at how much more fun it was to actually do things like road trip or even travel because I wasn't uh, needing to just get up and – Sprint out of the building, uh, you know, at basically twelve oh one the day of the exit, which has been big.
0: Yeah, that was something I, I, uh, I think that the term is like ADHD paralysis that people use to describe this feeling of knowing that you have an event coming uh, that has somewhat unknown contours. So, like, I feel this way if I have a like a doctor's appointment at a place I haven't been before, mm-hmm. or so something you're like, like how do, that. where am I going to park? How do I get in there? What if I right. get lost? Right. Yeah. So there, so there are several questions about timing, when to go, how long it'll take you to find the office. You know, like there's just a bunch of unknowns ahead of you, um, and because of that, it takes like it takes up an outsized amount of space in your in your brain, and then it becomes just really hard to do pretty much anything mm-hmm. until that thing is done. This is why I always
1: well, try to schedule things for the earliest possible time in the morning.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. And so this is like what you're describing, Sam, which is like travel is exactly that. It's, it's going to a, uh, a series of, of sort of chaotic events, right? Because like you got to get to the airport and like travel and do all these things that are on strict timetables, which is like the it's like the well, ADHD strict, strict for you, you know? but not but <laughs> not for them,
1: right? Because like flight could get they delayed. It could get canceled. And you could get there and now you're just stuck there because you finally got there. And they were like, fuck you, buddy, and now you're just in some random place. And now what do you do? You know? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. So so I mean I always I always go to the I my preference is to go to the airport like two hours before the flight. Yep, same. Have two hour layovers at least anytime I have a layover. Um, because I I would rather go through all the steps of getting to the, the gate, even though it takes five minutes, you know, get to the gate and then just chill there and read a book or something. But now if all the questions are
2: answered, yep. you can actually relax once you've gotten to the, to that seat. But until then, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Every, every single, like I, I just exclusively use direct flights unless there's like, and this there's just no way because every additional stop adds like it, te- like it five X is the, it ratchets the, up the, the anxieties of, <laughs> of like, Oh no, because now you're going to do it flight. again. You're going to do it again. Cause like, you don't know if they're going to cancel You don't know if your flight's going to get delayed on the first leg. uh You know, you don't know if weather's going to hit once you get somewhere, you know, it's like, so all of a sudden, like, Every little additional piece yeah. becomes, uh, and again, just it's water, weird because neither.
0: you don't really care about those things. It's just that your brain won't quit making you think about. Them. Yeah. Well, because now you know know I'm trying to figure I mean? out, like,
1: because now I'm trying to plan ahead. I'm like, okay, well, what will happen? What am I going to do? Yeah. You know, in those yeah. scenarios, so I can get out ahead of it and know, you know, all the yep. different options.
0: Yeah, yep. it's the worst, but uh, yeah. So, anyways, you know, drugs help, and then you can grow a beard, and you can you can have different vacation styles. It's crazy. It's great. Yeah, actually well, I'm wondering uh, now that you now that you say this I have noticed but because I don't have a uh, very
1: good memory um mm-hmm. I actually don't know if we talked about this in the podcast but like, while we're talking about brain stuff mm-hmm. there's a there's a thing that's called uh what's it called it's called like something deficient autobiographical memory severely deficient autobiographical memory mm-hmm. did I tell you did I tell you guys about this even it something I yes. stumbled across a little. Uh, fairly recently. I don't
0: know if we've talked about it on the podcast. I don't think we have. But so, this is, this is, so, like we talked about before,
1: like anytime we learn about things like ADHD and we're like, oh no, oh, we have this, right? Or in my case, you Fantasia where you can't picture things in your mind. You're like, oh, this is like, I, it, when you learn about those things as the person who is who has it, right? You're also learning that the opposite exists for the first time, right? Correct, right. And so, because you just have your experience and that's what you know, and you, you're not over here thinking like, oh no, I, other people can picture things in their brains, and I can't. Or there's that That's not happening. The, the idea, idea of somebody, yeah, the idea of somebody literally picturing in your brain hasn't occurred to you as a as a fact that exists in the world, right? Uh, and of course, you can't imagine it in the same way. that You can't imagine the opposite if you can, right? So, uh, so it's one of the things that I, I always thought that aspect was why I couldn't remember stuff because I was like, you know, memories are really tied uh, for for people who can see. It's really tied to all the visual components that you've kind of you know stored and. Adapted over time in your memory as you look back and stuff. Yeah, it's also and one of the tricks it. for memory is that one of the best ways to do memory encoding is to do mm-hmm. it through multiple sensory channels. So it's not
2: just yep. like a written thing, but it's also imagining the picture to associate yeah. with the thing. It lays down a thicker track in the mind, basically. So yeah, if you yep. got no images, then you don't have thicker tracks by default.
1: Mm-hmm. So imagine, well, that yeah. and the mind goes further. Actually, is that is that I don't see stuff, but I also like I can't recapture like a smell or a sound or anything either. So I have like basically no sense memory. Um, hmm. But there's this thing called that's that's sort of like aphantasia, rel, fairly recently discovered and not very well studied. But they called it severely deficient autobiographical memory, and and so I learned something new that I didn't know about other people, uh, which was how how autobiographical like about yourself, right? How how your life history works in your in your brain, right? Which is that as you experience something, it kind of goes into your brain it's like this is this is me. Telling you my understanding of it, given that I don't experience it. Right. But so, so as you experience a thing, and as you get further removed in time from that, right, if your memory of it is goes from very experiential, where like if you're reflecting back, you're going to be perceiving that in a first-person kind of a view, right? Right. So it's all kind of fuzzy and it's not like it's not exactly like a camera or whatever. Again, I assume. So <laughs> so as time goes on, it's almost like the camera zooms out, right? And it goes from a first person view into a third person view, right? As it becomes, as it goes starts to move from an experience that you're re-experiencing into a story about a thing. About that you. Right. And yeah. as you get that distance, that's all – like everything kind of gets dampened and softened and all this stuff, right? Uh, so I don't have either of those two things, which is interesting. But the the, the severely deficient part comes from uh, apparently people who don't have that first step, where they don't have the first person like experiential mm-hmm. aspect of it. Again, this is – there's no – it's really hard to study brains, right? So, so how people like think and stuff. So the mm-hmm. the idea – is that people who basically just like literally can't remember stuff, like it's just gone um, from their past and, and most of their past effectively doesn't exist in their brains, they didn't have that first step. Because that's the step that really – because it's so experiential and if, especially if you revisit it, mm-hmm. that's the stuff that starts to turn into the story that you tell yourself, right? Yeah, so it does all the encoding for you I and mean, that's such a – does rich, all the encoding. It yeah. fills in all the blanks. And this is also why memories are are at least partially false always, right? Is because it's your brain – Retelling a story that through like experiencing it and re-experiencing it, but each time it's an echo of itself, you know, and, uh, and people with this thing, since they don't have that first step, they don't have experiential memory, then they just forget because the
0: system that encodes it and embeds it just isn't there. Right. (laughs) So, which is how how prevalent is that? I wonder because I mean, I don't know something that something that people always talk about is just how memory memory is statistically unreliable, right? Yeah, but there there are people who do have incredibly good memories uh, that are fairly reliable, and then there are people who have almost no memory, Mm -hmm. right? Who who? The thing is, all this stuff, yeah,
1: all this stuff is a spectrum, right? And 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 there, of course, there are like organic uh, brain disorders that uh, like in memory centers and stuff that can cause various things, and, and there's Whatever I've got going on, and you know, and people like that, <laughs> like there's, so th- just like with any any way that your brain does a thing, it's always on a spectrum of some sort, right? Yeah, and so and so it's, but the first step when you're trying to then study something like this is realizing that there's a difference, right? First realizing there's a dimension that you can like measure and talk about and reason about that that exists because like if you if you take st- take a moment to think, like how do I rem- how do I remember things? As in like what does that look like? What happens when I remember something? What happens when I'm converting an experience into a memory, right? You don't have a fucking idea. You've never sat down and tried to do that before and like think through something that's been happening. It's just something that's been happening. Yeah, exactly. And so you have to to realize that that's a thing that's been happening because it's invisible to you, right? And then then be like, oh, how does this work? And then try to figure that out. And now you're trying to observe yourself, right? Make that happen, which now you're changing Mm -hmm. the outcome because you're observing yourself do it. So then you're like, okay, I'll only go try to observe other people because you can't see in there. You don't know what's right. going on. <laughs> so, now you start, so you have to
0: ask them yeah, to observe themselves and them, tell you, right. but now that's wrong too. Yeah, because
1: the, the questions <laughs> that you ask are informed by your own experience that you tried to apply, right? And this is also why most of our underst- – all of our understanding of all ways that brains work are based on the very bad approximation that the person who realized we should go look at that – Had right, because every single question from then on out was biased into that domain of that person's idea of what the thing was. Right?
0: Okay. You know what's wild about this though is that given that that for any individual there's a huge range in their capacity for memory of like what they what their capacity might be, Uh, but that for for example for uh, for trials in court Mm -hmm. that you could put someone on the stand and get an eyewitness testimony from that person. Uh, without first doing any kind of vetting to see how good their memory is. (laughs) This is actually the, uh, (laughs) do you guys remember,
1: uh, I guess it would have been two Decembers ago. I had to go to jury. Oh yeah. Right. And, uh, and so they they actually wanted to put me on a grand jury, which is like, and so they sent me the info for that and they're like, oh yeah, we're going to need you for like three to six months, uh, three days a week. And I was like, no, I can't do this. What do you mean? Like, and they're like, no, we'll pay you $15 a day though. So like, you know, so just, just in case yeah, people don't like, uh, know how the American system works for jury duty, uh, they're <laughs> like, uh, cause if you don't, if you don't attend, then they throw you in jail. Right. So now, now imagine being a person who doesn't have the flexibility I do and you don't have, you're like working a minimum wage job. The person will fire you if you leave. And you're like, uh, I have to do this or go to jail. And they're like, okay, well now you're fired. And I, and I guess you'll just have to make $15 a day for the next through." Anyway, that's an aside. But it's And
0: then you're like, <laughs> maybe accurate. I will go to jail because that's – I have no other options now. Yeah, that might be the outcome, right? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, Great. so – Good so, job, America.
1: So, uh, <laughs> but I – you know, I – but I just so – I wrote a note in and I was like – I was like, I literally can't because I run a, a very small company and I can't just be gone. I just can't six just be months. gone for six months. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so, then they put me on a regular thing. Whatever. It doesn't matter. It's just an aside because I think the jer- – I think all this stuff is so interesting and weird. Um so, uh, so when we went through, they did that whole, the what year process, mm-hmm. you know, where both sides got, got their lawyers and their lawyers are like trying to, trying to stack the jury. That's their, I mean, that they state that that's not their goal. They have to say that that's not what they're doing, but I, why are we lying to happening. ourselves? Yeah. I don't understand. Yeah. So, both so sides are just, stacking against each other, which is supposed, exactly. it's supposed to make it balanced. Supposedly. Yeah. Cause you can like throw out each other's picks and I don't know, there's a whole process. So, there's, there's like, I don't know, 60 of us or 80 of us or something like that. There's like a whole bunch of us in this room uh, for the selection process. And they just go through and they and like each each uh, lawyer just has a set of questions. So they start at the top, ask, and they just go down the line. I just get an answer from everybody. Right. So it's just the slowest, most horrible process. But one of those questions was about how we felt about different kinds of evidence. Right. Mm. And, and then it came to me and I, and
0: you and like, I answered, you, I which any is any like, I trust literally <laughs> no
1: evidence, but in particular, eyewitness testimony because that's apparently what this case hinged upon you know and I wasn't doing this because I wanted to get out of jury duty although I didn't you know I mean I did but <laughs> <Just being honest. laughs> I was just because they were like yeah of course because they're, they're like if you're not honest we throw you in jail um, so I was like okay well here's the truth then like I'm not going to believe a goddamn word anybody says in this whole process so uh, but yeah the, the, that's apparently that case which was a murder case I discovered mm-hmm. later
2: mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it's only evidence was eyewitness testimony mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, the number one people – the number one reason people are incarcerated wrongly? Eyewitness testimony. <laughs> Incorrect eyewitness testimony. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Memories are bad. Memories are bad. really bad. And, yeah, and well, we, and we well, all average. trust them so much. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, it's a spectrum, right? And, and I think the problem is, is that we're all taught our whole lives to trust our memory, right? And so I think it would be one thing if it was bad and everybody kind of understood that because you can work around that. You can kind of figure out ways to find the truth in the memory and all this stuff, right? Uh, and then you can use it because now it's just a piece of sort of contaminated evidence. And you can kind of figure out like, where's the contaminated part? And you can, you could take a bunch of eyewitness testimonies and kind of figure out what it means. And like, if you know why they end up being wrong and what aspects they turn wrong, you know, then there's a whole, the like, people know this already. There's a whole science of this, mm-hmm. right? So you could use that, but instead, they're just
0: like, what did you the see? Oh, okay. They saw it. Yeah. yeah I believe that use... now. And that's, that's the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's bizarre. Interesting. All right, now I want to talk about I want to talk about uh, Adam's first week as CEO.
2: Yes, new captain of
0: the ship. Uh, kind of speaking of, you know, we're talking about memory. This idea of you've kind of always been doing things a certain way, and that's just kind of how you've been doing them. And now you've got to become a third party observer in the thing mm-hmm. and figure out what's actually going on. Which is exactly what Adam's been doing this past week. Yep. How's only- that been going? It's well. I've only just begun because the first because it's all
1: about. I don't know. I think it's it's a really interesting puzzle. Basically, I'm not coming in as an outsider, but in a way, it feels like that. You know, where you're trying to remove yourself from the yeah. I'm trying to like become
0: a right observer, right?
1: But because we shared so much responsibility, including like management of all of our people, management of projects, all this kind of stuff, uh, then this this core question to me that I'm mostly focusing on the visibility, which is just what's going on. You know. Is that we – I mean all of us knew that, that none of us knew what was going on, like the full picture, you know. Uh, but I also didn't really work that hard to f- try to figure that out previously because I was like, whatever, stuff's getting taken care of. Who cares, you know? And you uh, knew what was going on in your domain. Yeah. And anytime I had like something where I was like, oh, yeah, what about this thing? And then I would just make sure I surfaced that. And then somebody would be like, oh, yes, I am taking care of that. Or, or, oh, no, I'm not. Let's figure that out. Right. Mm -hmm. So that was a chaotic process that we were all doing that kind of worked. But it didn't mean that none of us actually knew what was going on. Uh, And so so that's the first part of this process. And it's really interesting going from knowing conceptually that I don't really know what's going on. Right. Uh, To then trying to start figuring out what's going on. And and seeing just how true that was that I that I didn't know you know mm-hmm. uh, and and also going from this idea of things having been organically iteratively developed you know collaboratively right and with with actually not really a lot of because uh, it, it's always like when you're doing iteration you're always like iterating on the past thing right so there every once in a while in our in our journey we've stepped back more significantly and like redesigned a big thing about how the studio works but most of that's been very focused it's been like how do we manage like work very specifically or uh, or it's been stuff like that. Right. Um, yeah. But not just the whole thing. And so, so trying to even figure out like, what is it, what does the whole thing even mean? You know, like what are all the components of, of, a of our business, a business in general, but our business, uh, you know, what,
0: and what does it mean? What are the divisions? How does, what is work and yeah. how does it move between And who's doing? Yeah, exactly. Who's doing what and how do we know? And, and how do why they are they know doing those what to do? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: so So it's actually, so, so I've been like. I've basically been trying to figure out that. So I, I'll, I'll try to write up some stuff about it as I go, as I kind of get, as I get p- past the first part and actually start turning things that I've realized I need to do into things that I'm doing, you know, I'm going to try to start making that stuff uh, public in some way. Cause I think it's really interesting. Um, but, uh, but the first part of this has basically just been like just brain dumping, being like, what are all the things that I, that I think I need to be thinking about? It's not even necessarily that I want to change or that I'm worried about. It's just, I'm trying to figure out what all the things are, you know? And even something like, the three of us are simultaneously the shareholders and the board and employees of the company, right? And yeah. so in a, in, a, like in a bigger company, all three of those types of entities have completely different goals and incentives, right? Mm-hmm. And so – but we've never even thought about like trying to separate those concerns, at least conceptually, and ask like, are we acting right now in our role as shareholders? Whereas employees, right, and that kind of stuff. And so, anyway, the whole thing has been very just interesting to try to figure out how to puzzle through this. So, I've been having a good time. It's been, I've been having a time. So, it's been, <laughs> it's been, uh, it has, it's like, it's, it's a little bit anxiety inducing, just a little bit, but mostly because at the moment there are so many threads that I know are, because I've, I've like picked apart a knot, right? And like the, the loose ends are hanging everywhere. There's still a big knot there. And I haven't done anything with it yet. I'm just like I'm just like pulling the threads yeah, well, out. Sure, it's and, you know. sort of the
2: first part where you you do all the surveying and tallying to figure out what's actually important to do. Yeah. And as you go as you continue through that process, at some point you're like, shit. There's just yeah. There's just all a lot. these things, but you haven't actually pared it down yet. And that's that's where lot. the anxiety starts to go away. I think. Which
1: will be yeah. What, yeah. And I think in terms of like if someone out there is you know going through something like this, or you know starting a business and want to, or have, has a business and we want to like kind of revisit it, uh, it's the thing that's been. The biggest struggle is as I keep on thinking of things and trying to find – it's basically trying, finding a way to organize this, right? Organize all mm-hmm. the things that I want to be thinking about and need to make sure I don't forget. And, and that's because that consists of investigations into things. It consists of projects I want to do. It consists of, it consists of a million different things, right? Uh, and they don't have an obvious relationship to each other because they have a bunch of different goals and, and categories, you know? And so finding ways to kind of take this enormous amount of chaos up front and organize it just enough that it doesn't get lost and then also prioritize it because mm-hmm. all those things have to get – you know, all these things have to be found out and dealt with, right? And and there are things that I want to do because it feels urgent and important, right? But if I don't do this other thing for – I mean, it's just like any kind of work, right? If I don't do this other thing first, then yeah, I can do that, but I'm probably going to have to rework it later anyway, Right? And yep. and so it's stuff like I realized the first thing that basically the first thing I need to do is just figure out how do we communicate with each other? Which, you know, seems like dumb and obvious, right? Uh, except that that also grew organically. We didn't design it, right? And I already like just discovered all the useful powers of Google groups that I didn't know about before, which has already fundamentally changed how I can surface information about what I'm doing to the rest of the team and stuff. Uh, because I've got the chance to sit down and be like, How do I know that if I send a piece of information somewhere that the other person definitely gets it and definitely acts on it, right? And how do I know that if I've now done this, that the record of that having happened is now visible to the right people,
0: right? Well, yeah, that's what I'm – I'm particularly excited about all of this because I – I feel like this is the right time, um, because thinking about the like the way that we conceived of our work and what it meant to to run a business and stuff like that, you know, five years ago or something. Mm-hmm. Um, if we had picked one of us to to be the the you know the the CEO, the person just whose only job was just make sure the company runs smoothly and is able to capitalize on opportunities and manage its resources well and grow and whatever, um, we wouldn't have had. St- Stuff like you know our, our DevOps principles, right, and all this mm-hmm. experience with with what it means to hire and train and grow and and develop uh, tech and stuff like that. And I think I think it's telling that you know what you're talking about, Adam is is that your first move is visibility, mm-hmm. right? Which is the first principle of DevOps. Oh yeah, which yeah. Is, I'm
1: definitely taking a DevOps approach. To which it, is don't even
0: don't even think about the problems you're trying to solve yeah. because you don't know. I don't know what's here yet. Yeah. right? You can't, if you can't see stuff, Exactly, you can't make decisions. So yeah. you, uh, the only first move is to just make things visible and then just mm-hmm. look at it.
1: Yeah. And, then, and that's, and that's the thing is that with this like communication
0: channel thing, it's like, okay,
1: just, it's looking around figuring out what are we, how do people find out about stuff and tell each other about stuff? Right. And, uh, and, and so, and it's, and that's the kind of thing where it's like, and this is true for any R and D phase of anything, right. Where you might already know some things that you want to do, but when you don't have the full picture yet, when you don't have the, all the visibility you need, then you have to kind of somehow put that aside, right, and be like, "I'm going to do this thing that that isn't me making a thing happen." Because we talk about this a lot with product, the idea of productivity, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning, you produce a thing, and uh, because like because understanding something is a prereq to then you know doing a thing, right, or at least doing it reasonably well. Um, but that part always feels like not that's not what you're supposed to be doing you know and so and so especially when you can see the effects of the stuff that you know are problems right and so so like in our case our our daily standups uh haven't don't quite fit well with how we ended up changing things once we moved to favro um it doesn't quite work so it's like a, it's a little janky but it still accomplishes the goal right and so it's not doing any damage, and it's not taking a lot of time. So I'm like, I'm looking at that, and I'm like, I'm going to solve this later, right? But now every morning <laughs> I have to run, I have to run it, and be like, this is kind of a janky experience, right? And so <laughs> and so trying to figure out how to get these things all lined up properly is uh, is, and of course, there's no right it's way. It's going to take time. So, yeah, yeah. it just uh, just takes time. So that's uh, been fun. It's been interesting. Well, I do want to say one of the the other side effects
2: that this has been because Adam's actually taken everything off of my plate now at this point. Um, yeah,
1: from yeah, I just told Sam to loop me in on all open. BizDev dev threads and i just took his name off mm-hmm. so he just he can't even see anymore <laughs> that's great i get like no emails
2: now mm-hmm. i get a lot now uh <laughs> and then on top of that uh, in terms of <laughs> yeah in terms of direct management of the team and like all this other stuff so i'm just i'm just straight chilling over here uh by that i mean mm-hmm. now furiously working on uh crash 2 and this also revealed um Basically, being able to actually sit in the work for this long has also revealed some interesting things about the importance of this Favro switch uh, for us. Which again, Favro is a new tool we switched over to, which allows it's a and that's simple A V
1: R O because we mm-hmm. had some people who were like, I don't know how to spell that. And now I can't find it. So that's there I'm it saying.
2: is. Um, yeah. But the the reality of what the power of that simple idea that's present in this tool, which is the idea that a piece of work can be in two places at the same time, stuff can be two uh, things. Yeah. because – it revealed, I think, the reason why, in particular for uh, for Seth and I, usage of things like Trello or uh, actually any work management software up until literally Favreau has oftentimes felt actually like a downgrade in terms of the ability to produce really high quality stuff. It's definitely an upgrade in terms of the ability to like get a grip on what the hell
1: is happening. Yeah, the um, higher higher level project management.
2: Yeah, but in terms of like actually, you know, turning a really turning an idea into a really cool feature. Uh and the reason I say this is because in you know, in, in the past we've talked about this with the difference between like Favreau, Trello, and, and ClickUp is basically that when we would begin working on say a new item uh in the game. You know, it starts with an idea, you start with like sort of a rough approximation of what you want to do, uh draft up some concepts have sort of a rough version of it put into the game and then from there it's like you're trying to now get the thing over the finish line but the reality is again it's it needs to be able to be highly iterative and the issue is that with with a card-based system as you're using before every one of those iterations causes an explosion of motion work right where it's like ooh, here's these ideas about how to do this uh you have to those get busted out into separate sort of like cards they get sort of because of how the card system works in that context you can't actually meaningfully have two people on the same card if they need to do two different things with it because you can't move it through the workflow in different ways and so what's become very very apparent is this uh one of these items that we have which has been sitting there for for months just like had a brief design brief that the contents of that brief were enough to make it essentially clear that we needed to do a lot of iteration on it which meant that every time we tried to touch it we just couldn't because it's like sort of the weird again this weird motion and waste problem um and I think it started off with just like a – it's a to-do, a to-do list of like 10 different sort of things. And I'm pretty sure by this point, it's sort of – the reality again as you explore the work is that it ballooned out to probably like 40 actual actual things that needed
0: to be done. And um, legit like this item is a weed. It's a fucking weed, everybody. Like, it's, it's a plant. It doesn't yeah, – You
1: mean literally, not metaphorically. It's like literally – Literally. So it's, a I weed, mean, it's, it's a weed item and it's an item in the game that is a weed.
0: Yeah, it's a right. weed. But – and the, the thing is, I mean it's – it's interesting mechanically. There's a reason why we didn't work on it for so long because it's not just. So, like in the original Crashlands, most things were pretty inert, right? Like you'd see a log tree and you'd, you know, you'd chop it and you get wood. Then see yeah, a everything plant. was something that
1: you harvest, basically.
0: Yeah. And like you'd see a squee plant and you'd chop it and you get squee plant parts. And it was no different mechanically than a log tree. They both just sat there and did nothing, right? And so, uh, so this weed is like, it, it spreads over time. So like there's more of them if you don't clear them out and they grow thistles. And if you like touch them barehanded, you get hurt. But if you chop them with tools, then they, they harvest properly. And like there's all kinds of interesting stuff with them, um, which meant that it wasn't just as simple as, you know, copy, paste a log tree, swap out the sprite and change yeah. the, the drops, right? Uh, and so when Sam initially pitched this thing back when we were using ClickUp, I I was just like, okay, well, Let's just put this on the back burner. <laughs> yes. Well, because you look at it like, I don't see like a, how we're gonna it's, it's like four, it is forty things. Like it's forty different steps well, yeah. of, of iterations. Yeah. Right. And each one of those
1: requires you to basically update and build new features into a system to allow not only for this to be possible, but in the enabling of this to also enable
0: similar amounts of Concepts, complexity yeah. and other things. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So we just didn't, but now with fiber, we we did it in a day, like all the whole thing. Like all the steps.
2: Yeah. And it, like, and it wasn't – and I think that was the thing that was fascinating about it because I was also – I was working on some other stuff, you know, like at the same time. Um, Seth's working on it and then he'd check in. We'd go back and forth for a second and then like, okay, here's the next list of things. I'd pop off and go knock out one of those that like had my name on it. He would keep on working on his side and just – it was so – it actually felt – it felt closer to how it was or how it is during game jams and stuff where it's like you're just kind of – you're working together and um, – and there's not all this weird there's not all this weird, uh, almost like I guess bureaucracy, but just like motion around being able to work together on stuff.
0: Um yeah. in a real sense. Yeah. You'd have to manage the communication channels. They just, yeah. They you just are communicating through them, yeah. But you yeah. don't have to manage the fact that you're communicating. You, right, you through manage them. their setup. So all the overhead is in the initial setup of which was yeah. which was
1: a lot. Like the, the if we compare the setup differences between what we have going on in Favreau versus like you know ClickUp or or Trello oh, yeah. in particular. Right? Like Trello's got nothing going on; it's just a bunch of columns, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, and then when we moved from that to Monday, there was like a big spike in how much initial design overhead there was getting it together. And then we did moved to ClickUp another big spike and then moving into Favreau an even bigger spike because everything is, it's so fundamentally different. uh, But also all of the power comes from that weird concept of being able to really Mm -hmm. centralize stuff on a card. Uh, But to do that and to make sure stuff doesn't fall through the cracks requires just an ungodly number of tables and automations and uh, visibility tweaks to make sure that the right people see the right stuff at the right time, you know, um and so you know put this really elaborate contraption uh, but once it's there though it's actually not complicated to interact with that's the wild thing because like, no, i would yeah, finish right. a piece of this all the complexity then, is hidden in the system
2: yeah so if i finished a piece of this thing and i saw because i can see that it's in seth's done pile and so i'll just be like no it's not and i'll put it back in his inbox right and he did, he could do the same thing on my side so it's like it, it's but it's, it's still done on your end yeah it's, it's mm-hmm. so easy to have like, this yeah. sam know, did his part yeah, yeah. Crush those bugs. I don't know. I think it's it's been it's been really good, uh, even just the last couple of days with uh, having Adam at the helm, having the fiber systems all fully set up and getting to actually do direct feature development uh sort of with Seth in sync. Um so I'm I'm really really excited to see what kind of happens the next couple
0: of weeks here. I think it's gonna be a rocket yeah. fuel sort of a situation for us. Agreed. So it's something we needed. Mm-hmm. Uh all right you guys, you ready for some questions? Yeah, let's go. Yeah. These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. The highest up-footed question comes from Tim Conceivable, who says, Where in the B-Scotch universe did Narwhal Online take place? Was that mm. Wonope or another planet? Mm. I hope to see a lot of Narwhals in Crashlands too. I actually uh, so, do remember the lore on
1: this. Do we – it's not canon. So as long as I preface it with that, then we can just get right into it. So it's yeah. not canon. Yeah, yeah. But what – so the end of Crashlands, right, end of Crashlands. We send the packages through a portal, right? Mm-hmm. Uh the the idea we had then kicking around, which again, not canon, was that there was this kind of uh alien infestation being called a Chakrube. They're like mm-hmm. grubby little guys, right? These are these are the enemies you fight in Narwhal online. Uh so the the Polari, the Narwhal people, right? Uh are I mean you saw them in Crashlands, right? They they live in the tundra. So so, this, so the idea, the idea at the time was that that portal was like, you know, when we, whenever we did the, some other next game that was like in the same universe, which just didn't quite happen that way, right? Uh, but the idea was going to be that like, that we might update that final cutscene, right? Where you would then see something. You'd something, see it's eye. Something slips through. Something, something some comes shit. out, right? Mm-hmm. And so the idea is that the, the Chikrub are this like old enemy, right? And, and Narwhal Online is actually, in the pack, because there's there's some mentions of it's like wars historical, and stuff, right? it's a archive. historical market, <laughs> right? So there's a so there's a there's an old underground basically battle because the Chick were underground, right? And uh, and they had they, they had infested tunnels, like up, They dig tunnels, right? And so yeah. the various factions of no had come together to you know purge this infestation, right? Uh, and of course, led by the Polari because of their dope narwhal horns, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and so so narwhal online takes place. In that past, that past war, the first invasion, where you, the first the invasion right. Where the outcome would have been, had it not been designed as first a jam game, but then second as a, <laughs> as a game where you, uh, where it was supposed to, it was meant to be a game that like you just got to keep on going, you know? Um, so it was like, it was an endless war basically, um, yeah. which is, you know, historically, presumably what it felt like in this non-canon story that I just yes. described that is not canon.
0: I mean, I think it kind of is canon, isn't it? I mean, this was the first time we saw the Polari. They were mm-hmm. fighting the Chakrub, which then the Polari and the Chakrub appeared in Crashlands, uh, or at least the references to the Chakrub, mm-hmm. right? Because that was that was Hugo's plan was basically he he believed that he could he could mind control swarms of Chakrub and sort of use them mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to uh, subvert the planet. I don't remember how much of that so, actually ended up in the Crashland story. I don't think like any. Of I think I it was, think it
1: it was explicit
2: that there uh was explicit that there was a huge war that the that everybody had yeah. fought in together and that yep. the Polari had uh sacrificed a bunch in to defeat mm-hmm. the chick group. They they were mentioned by name. But at they that were, point yeah. we had actually no idea what we were like I literally just sort of like slapped the keyboard to get in the <laughs> <Like>,
1: Yeah, and <laughs> do the classic sci-fi thing of throwing an apostrophe in there. You know? Oh, oh, right. yes. so it's, it's, oh it's yeah. Oh yeah. If it's
0: yeah, if it's like a, an alien, they've got, they've got to use a lot of apostrophes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when
1: I was thinking
2: about it, I was like, okay, what? I think what it was. Is I was like, okay, let's just take two things that if you put them together would make some really weird things. And I was like, chickens and grubs. And so literally. You just smash shoot. it together and put an <laughs> apostrophe in there, right? Um, yeah, and there
0: you have it. Which is why they're basically worms with beaks. Yeah. Kind of a thing. 100%.
2: 100%. Uh, which are creepy and gross, turns out worked out great. It worked out great. Yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah, so so yeah, our
0: first yeah. post, I don't
1: even remember if we ever talked about it publicly, but our first post Crashlands game that we started and then abandoned because we just couldn't figure it out uh, was basically like, it was basically Narwhal well Online, right? Yeah. It was like, Taking that from the jam game conception into the actual game, uh, I do not know what we called it now. But um, we had the domain name and everything; we were ready to go, you know. But uh, but we just we didn't quite have our shit figured out to to pull it off at that at that time.
0: Well, it was actually it was actually going to be a lot more involved than that. But I think we yeah. we were calling it uh, uh, Whippersnappers. Whippersnappers or, is
2: different. That was different. Or like Home s- Slice. Home, home slice turned into whippersnappers. Yeah, the home slice was the code name, and then we switched was, over to scuffle right. buddies. And I think either that between, was a whole other thing. Yeah, I think between those two is actually when we revisited is that the our online concept. Mm, okay. yeah. but I think we we got like
1: two or three weeks into that one, and then sort of spun it out, and we we're like, eh, like. Yeah, we didn't get really far into it. We got far enough to kind of uh, start building conceptual what it was going to be, and it was it was just going to be really big, which was really the kind of the core of all of our difficulties at that time. Was yeah,
0: yeah, that was twenty seventeen. We we started and then abandoned three whole games that that year or twenty sixteen actually, right. After- right yeah. between 2016 and 2017 because we
1: it was right after crashland's launch in january 2016 well,
0: we, didn't, we didn't start any new games until 2017 oh is
1: that right oh congrats. 2016 yeah, was yeah, still we were...
0: 2016 was basically controller support for Crashlands. yeah <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> it
2: was a lost year basically that was, that was like four
0: months uh, of work just into that uh yeah. and then learning how to you know hire and, and expand the studio and stuff um we all moved that year too like it was it was a it There's was a, a big happening. transition year but yeah uh all right. Next question. We have uh, a couple of questions. They're kind of related. So first one's from Chelosis, who says, at work, if I have tasks that either seem like they will be difficult or seem like they will be boring, I have a very hard time focusing on them and it takes me much longer than it should. Do y'all ever need to use focus techniques like Pomodoro? Mm.
2: Uh, I find that time boxing, Pomodoro stuff, setting timers, all of those are always useful. To be honest with you, like in the same sort of way, like if I'm ever having, if I'm ever like more sleepy during a day or whatever else, uh, and then I just say like, okay, I'm gonna set the time for twenty five minutes and like get get the get a move on. Uh, I still find it super useful. So I guess the short answer is yes. But I also um I try to do more upfront work with the work that I'm tr- clearly trying to avoid to figure out why that's the case and to see if I can make it interesting. Right. So a big part of what I think used to be my challenge on some of the art stuff is and you get sort of a prompt and it's like, oh, all yeah, right, we need like a, I don't know, like a weird plant or something to go in here, right? And previously, you know, that that was sort of like the directive. And then when you're running up against that, you actually don't have much. It seems like you have everything you need to grab onto, but you actually don't. Um, and so the first thing I do now is I literally write like a little dumb blurb, almost like a, if, especially if it's like an item or something like that in, in Crashlands. But even if we're doing a biz dev case or whatever else, I always write either like a goal or like a high level high level story about this thing, whether it's mm-hmm. why it's important or uh some of the various aspects of it and it's literally like like maybe two minutes of just sort of just jamming on a keyboard being like uh you know on the on the item side it'd be like here's kind of what where this thing sits in the ecosystem here 's kind of how to think about it what it does uh on things that you would generally consider more boring it's actually the same, but it's framed as a goal so I literally I have my notepad open, and I type goal colon and then mm-hmm just write for like
1: a minute or so, like do this. This is literally how I start every single new thing I do, no matter what it is, (laughs) Yeah, how big it is, how small it is, how bored I am about it. It's just always the first thing is, what am I trying to do? Yeah. And for whatever reasons, like once you do that, at least for me, like I've,
2: I've had to rely a lot less on the timers Mm -hmm. and things like that. Cause I think what those are really, what those are really doing for you is forcing you to get far enough into the work that you find those toeholds where like it's, it becomes more apparent why it's an important or good, useful well, thing to do, or whatever else, right?
0: I, I would say it's actually not about getting farther into the work. This this reminds me of of just the the psychological concept of flow states, right? Which is that that if something is is boring, meaning it's like it's not challenging, it's not interesting. Uh, in other words, the challenge doesn't match your mm-hmm. skill level, right? Then uh, it's it's very hard for you to sort of focus in on it, right? And similarly, if the thing is too hard for your skill level then you also can't focus in on it because you just keep running into blocks. Yeah, right? you don't know how to start. Yeah, and this is a common game design problem, right? Like we want our players to be in a flow state and we try to design challenges for our players that match their current level of skill and knowledge and stuff like that so they can just sort of like get into a Zen mode and just have a yeah, great trying time. Trying to remind them that they're playing a game, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. and so, so it sounds like what you're, what you're talking about is actually not, not necessarily getting into the work but actually redesigning the work so if you mm-hmm. if you see the work and it's like, "Wow, this is boring and I have no interest in doing it," then instead of doing it, what you do is you you go in and and you uh, change what it means to do the work such that it's no longer boring. like you by by reframing the goals, you're kind of like ratcheting the challenge up in a new way mm-hmm. to match what your skill is. Um, and similarly, if something is is too hard, uh, then when you're digging into it in those early research stages, you are having to answer the questions about why does this seem so hard, and how do I make it easier? Right? Yeah, how do then, I- then your first goal is basically getting a toehold on it, you know, somehow. Right. Yeah, yeah, this, this- so if you find yourself avoiding the work, then continue avoiding the work, like of doing the work, and instead just do some work to redesign and rebuild the yeah. approach to the work. And this even goes down to like, I mean, because we've had to do all sorts
2: of you know zany stuff as far as just just straight up copy pasting a bunch of things around, or you know, managing a bunch of crap in Excel. And it's like, if each time you're doing one of those things, you know, aside from just trying to get yourself to do it, if you can step back and just ask the question, like, how could I do this so that it would be like, again, not
1: interesting, but just ask the question, like, how could I do this so that it's just it done suck more effectively? It, it doesn't suck <laughs> yeah. as much for me. And this um, is, this is why I love regular expressions because... Reg X? Yeah, Reg X. Because all the things that Sam just described, like, just Reg X, mm. tongue top to bottom, which there's no point getting into and Because it's not a technical podcast, but uh, <laughs> but it's it's one of those valuable things that like every single programmer has seen before, you know, like you've seen it, and then you've almost every single one also ran away screaming, right? Because it's a uh, it's, it's not friendly, it's not friendly, um, but it is like every time I have to every time I, and actually at this point get to every every time I get to deploy that skill set, I am so fucking glad that I took the time to like to really figure that out because. It's well, just it converts, so much better. It converts problems that are very uninteresting
2: into very interesting,
1: basically. into a puzzle. Yeah, into and actually, so, so I want to, I want to get it. To, I don't know if the two, the three of us have talked about this uh, outside the podcast either, but um, my wife had found this sort of ADHD thinking framework about how to, how do I identify like why, why is a thing hard to focus on, right? And this is thinking about in the context of ADHD, but like everybody else has the same struggles, just not as debilitatingly, right? So presumably, this is useful to everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is so the, the abbreviation is ICNU, which is not terribly easy, fun to say, but anyway. <laughs> uh, ICNU, right? Which is, which is, uh, let's make sure I got it over here. I was just looking at it. Okay, yeah, here we go. So it's for you to be able to focus on a thing and like do it, right? It needs to be one of these four things interesting, challenging, novel. Or urgent, novel meaning new, mm. novel or urgent, right? So IC new. So and I, I, th- I do think this is true of everybody. It's just if you have ADHD, you literally can't unless it's one of, one of those things. So what does time boxing do? Makes it urgent. It's urgent. Yep. What does procrastination do? Also it makes it urgent. It urgent. <laughs> <laughs> and so and challenging. To, it's to the be, same right? reason why yeah, yeah,
2: getting getting curious about these boring problems. To mm-hmm. Asking those questions is what makes them uh, novel and oftentimes even more challenging, more challenging than they would be in a way
1: that would make you too bored to even address it, right? Yeah. Um yeah. So like I mean, as an example for me trying to take over the the, the business stuff, right? I'm like, I, I I'm basically starting from first principles. I'm treating this as an as a as a academic slash philosophical slash practical problem, right? And so the root of it is what is a business? You know what I mean? Like what is this what treat is it as a for? novel problem. Who would you treat, say as, say treat it as a novelty? But actually, uh, that's uh, that's my that's my big project coming up soon for everybody to answer is is exactly what would you say you do here?
0: We're gonna have a uh, meeting with the bobs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and, like, honestly,
1: I roll in. Uh, you know,
2: I use the back door. Coming fifteen minutes yeah, okay, late. I heard
0: this bit uh, just yesterday. It's
2: hilarious. It's <laughs> coming like fifteen minutes late, so no one could see me. And then I just space out for about an hour. Looks like I'm working. I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing anything. <laughs> uh,
0: that's uh-huh. killer. Yeah, honestly, his. If you haven't seen the movie Office Space, I mean, because it's, it's like, I mean, this movie is dated. It's like 22, 23 years old now. But yeah, how well does it hold up in terms of, you know, social progressivism? I think, I think, okay. Does it hold up okay? Because um, a big part movie, of Most the, things I'm, from that time don't. Most things from that time have problematic angles that they didn't need to have yeah. on certain things. Um, I mean, but so the, much the, of it. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to you know, the, the core idea of office space is to sort of uh, it's to deflate the bubble that we live in, and just point out how how people really live their lives, and and mm-hmm. and uh, how absurd so many of the things we do are. And
2: you it's know? alive and real, even with remote work. Like I have, I do have a friend. I guess, especially with remote work, actually, because I think the 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 absurdity of it becomes even more apparent once people are in their own homes, yeah, doing yeah. some of this goofy shit. But I do have a friend. <laughs> who bought a mouse wiggler because their company has one of those dumb <laughs> they're tracking that shit you can't go idle if you're idle for for five minutes then it then they like they ping they like harass you about it and so she bought a <laughs> yeah, mouse wiggler yeah, and
1: I was it, I just yeah. seeing how fucked up these rules and like and dumb and pointless and, and missing the mark right because these things aren't achieving what people think they're achieving right no and I heard a story about cause, cause all, the, <laughs> you know, all these the all these kids had to had to do school from home right for the past year yeah. or whatever and hearing stories about that too, because like we all remember how fucking stupid the rules at school are, and how just universally idiotic the whole approaches um, to like because the they're, they're basically always, trying to prepare you for the idiocy of, of working as an adult, right? Uh, so yeah, it's like fair, oh, can I, I mean, have permission they're, they're right to right use my? Yeah, they are right. They were on target. But yeah, it's like can I have permission to expel waste from my body somewhere else? Instead of right here, right? That's one of the things you have to ask. <laughs> you have to ask somebody permission to do that. Isn't that insane? But yeah, so I saw a thing where, uh, you know, during over – a parent was complaining because because uh, the, the teacher for this this class, this virtual class, uh, was, uh, was, was uh, really pissed off at this kid who was eating, you know, during class. And not like making noise eating or like being gross. Just like they just 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 were just eating. They were eating. They were yeah. eating, you know. Uh, and they, they were in their own house, you know. They were sitting on their couch, mm-hmm. having a snack,
0: participating, and, uh,
1: participating in the class, and then and but they were eating though. And they were and, so and that same parent they went through like the rule list of what their kids were supposed to do and not do. You know, and it was like they can't they can't be like laying in their bed like what you know watching this. They can't be like lounging on the couch. They have to be sitting you know upright, like doing nothing else, and have nothing. They can't be drinking anything, or you know, whatever. It's like this list of things. It's like well i think this just goes to show Why? right
0: because back when we were in school those rules were there of course mm-hmm. for for us you know you can't have a water bottle because mm-hmm. there might be vodka in it or yeah. <laughs> uh, as as if nobody would you know smell that uh uh really all those all those rules existed to just create a sense of rigidity to everything the rules mm-hmm. themselves were pointless right of like yeah. you can't you can't Uh, chew gum in class you can't have a snack you can't drink if you if you're seen in the hallway you need to display your hall pass to (laughs) prove that you have permission to not be in a classroom at this exact moment right um well i guess it's all about finding and it's like it's all about finding docility
1: and then making it deeper it's
0: creating obedience
1: it's creating obedience, yeah correct because all the kids who
0: don't do it then they get kicked out of the system Right, right, right. So you create this, yeah, you create this sort of uh, uh, this, this hierarchical authority, which is that, which is that these are the rules, and whatever we say, no matter how weird it is, you mm-hmm. have to do it, or you will be punished, right? And it's just to continuously reinforce that with every single interaction you have with the the teachers and the the principal and stuff, and they like because it. I think the fact that those rules still apply, even when the context is completely different, yeah. right? Which in, is like, in your own home, in, can I pee? in my own house. Mm -hmm. Can I sit on my couch or are you going to make me sit on the, the dining room chair? Right. And it's like, they're going to, they're going to try to extend that authority uh, because it's not about, it's not about the consequence of the rules. It's just about establishing authority. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, So if you haven't, but again, if you haven't seen office space, it's, it's worth a watch. Mm -hmm. It's old enough now that I think you could be graduating from college and it would have come out before you were, born probably <laughs> mm-hmm. so <laughs> uh, that's probably true yeah yep uh, alright well I think that's all the time we have for this week uh, we'd like to thank our producers Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together and thanks to our community moderators who keep our discord running to get more involved in the butterscotch community just go to podcast.bscotch.net we have links to the discord a way for you to donate and links to the archives thank you all for listening we'll see you next week goodbye bye